The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Thank you so much for being here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter number 5 is where we'll be in just a moment. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 as we dive into this subject of just knowing the love of Christ. We're currently in a series entitled Be the Church. And so we're praying that the Lord will use this in our hearts just to continue to be the church, not just in our communities, being the church, not just in our world as we saw last week, but being the church uh, even in our own homes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here even today. For those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text today, Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, we're going to spend some time here just walking through this particular passage. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Funny how even from a very young age, uh, little kids copy their parents, isn't it? I mean, we have two boys. One is two, and one is three, and uh, both of those boys are like parents of just about anything Sarah and I do. And sometimes it's really cute when I look at my two-year-old Michael and I say, "I love you, Michael," and he's now able to look back up at me and say, "I love you, Daddy," and it's really cute and it's adorable and it makes your heart melt. Uh, but then there's other times where maybe you stub your toe or you hit your finger with a hammer and you say something and then they repeat it and you're like, "No, don't ever repeat that again." Uh, Sometimes it's cute, uh, sometimes it's not so cute, but kids, they copy their parents. And in a certain sense, kids bear the image of their parents, not just with the way they look, although they definitely do. If you look at a picture of me and Nicholas at the same age, we look identical. If you look at a picture of Sarah when she's a baby and you put it up next to Brooklyn, they look identical. Kids, they look like us, but they also take on our attitudes and our images, and they say what we say. Kids bear the image of their parents, and in a spiritual sense, both men and women were put on the planet as image bearers of God. This means that we were to be his vice regents, his ambassadors to the created world. Now, obviously, the effects of sin and the fall of mankind from paradise into brokenness has in many ways ruined this original design. Uh, But mankind was originally placed on earth to represent the beauty and the reign of God to all of creation. We were made to be in relationship with God and have spiritual fellowship and be spiritually connected to him. But again, sin has ruined that picture and hence ruined God's original design. I think most of us would say that there's not a great abundance of role models out there for us to copy and model our lives after. If you look at society, the people that they prop up and the people they say, be like this person. As Christians, we would look at them and say, no, we shouldn't be like that person. We don't want to model our lives after them. Uh, Sometimes there's been uh, more sobering moments when I realize how much my kids are like me. And sometimes I see something I struggle with starting to come out in my children and in my sons. And it's a little bit sobering. And I'm watching them and I'm like, wow, they really do copy everything. And it kind of hits me in a very sobering way. In those moments, sometimes I think, man, I just, I just wish I had somebody to copy. But the truth is, we saw in our text, we do. We do. Ephesians tells us to be followers of God. That word followers, if you look it up in the Greek, it's uh, the Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's very similar to the word mimic. It means to be imitators. It means Jesus is our example. God is our example. These verses are telling us that Christ is our ultimate example and a pattern for us to imitate. Now, on the one hand, that seems uh, impossible, right? Be like God. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Love like Jesus. Wow, that's, that's, that's heavy. 
love my wife the way Christ loved and sacrificed the, for the church. Wow, that's intense. And the truth is, it is. The truth is, in our own strength, we can't live like Jesus. In our own strength, we can't imitate God. But there's two, a few key phrases and words in this verse, in verse 1, that I want to pull out. The first word I want to look at is the word therefore at the beginning of our text. It says, be therefore followers. Be therefore imitators. Whenever you see the word therefore in a Bible passage, you go back and see what it's there for. So that's an indicator. It's kind of this device that can trigger your attention to go back and relook at everything Paul just said. So Paul is basing what he's about to say off of what he's already said. And when you look at Ephesians 1 through 4, Paul has gone to great lengths to show us our new identity. He's told us, you're not sinners now. You're saints. You're made new. You're a new man. Over and over again, he gives us a cur- encouragement to yield to the Holy Spirit, to renew our minds. Uh, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, the new one according, according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. In these verses, Paul's telling us, renew your mind in your new man. Preach it to yourself over and over and over again that you're made new. And the new man is like God in his purity. The new man is like God in his holiness. The new man is like God in his truth. And the new man is like God in his holiness. So he's telling us, renew your mind in that truth. And as you renew your mind in that truth, because of who you now are, you're going to become an imitator of God. Your life is going to begin to look like Jesus. As we truly believe and continually live out the gospel, no longer do we live under this law that forces us to do what we don't want to do. It's not duty anymore. It's not like, oh man, I got to copy God today. As I reinforce my new identity and as I reinforce my new nature, as I reinforce that new man God has made me to be, the natural outflow of that is going to be to be an imitator of God. Christ's spirit comes into us and he changes our desires so that obeying God and obeying his spirit and following him is what we desire to do as I reinforce my new nature, as I reinforce my new identity. I'm going to begin to love to live like God. I'm going to begin to love to love like Jesus. I'm going to begin to love to live in holiness and purity and in truth like the new man God has created me to be. The other key phrase I want to point out in this verse is, as dear children. Therefore, based on your new nature, based on your new identity, based on who you now are in Christ, be imitators of God, and it's not just period, it doesn't just stop there, it says, as dear children. Like I said earlier, my kids love to copy me. It's a force of nature for them. Kids just copy their parents, it's just what they do. Now here's the truth, my sons don't get up in the morning and tell themselves, okay, Nicholas and Michael, they don't wake up and okay, Michael, today you have to copy dad five times, you have to say what he says, you have to do exactly what he does, you have to wear shoes three, no, they just do it. It's a force of nature. Sometimes my son, Michael, he'll, he'll, he'll put on my shoes, right? I'll go home, I'll kick my shoes off. He'll climb right into those guys and he'll stumble around and he trips all over the place. He falls all over himself. It's kind of comical sometimes, but it's really cute. But here's the truth. Even when he stumbles and even when he falls and walking in my shoes, it doesn't stop him. He's not like, oh, being like, dad's too hard, I'm gonna quit. No, he just does it. He's just got a smile on his face. He gets back up and he goes, why? Because he's my son and he wants to be like his dad. And so what Paul is saying, as we renew our minds in the truth that God has made us his children, as you renew your mind in that truth, as you preach it to yourself over and over and over again, it's going to become a force of nature for you just to be like God. Just as habitual as it is for my children to act like me, it's going to be that way for you to live like God, to be an imitator of God. Children copy their parents by force of nature, and that's exactly how God, what God means when he says, be imitators of me as dear children. If we're going to be the church, we need to live like Jesus. Now, certainly there's more to being the church than that, but I think at its baseline, at the very essence, if we're going to be the church, it means we're going to live like Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, by the aid of his divine spirit, and that is key. This takes the Holy Spirit living through our lives. 
He says we can copy God in his justice, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his purity, truth, and faithfulness. We can be mimickers of him. We can be imitators of him. By the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can be tenderhearted, kind, forbearing, merciful, forgiving. In a word, we may walk in love as Christ has also loved us. Now, because today's Father's Day, I've titled the message, Be the Church Men. Uh, I would argue biblical masculinity has been hijacked uh, by a worldly and sinful version of what it means to be a man. Different facets of pop culture would have us believe that manliness uh, is equated with certain behaviors or attitudes. In some conversations, manliness might be synonymous with liking sports or cars, sadly, even sometimes dirty jokes or dirty movies. A lack of fathers in our society has further impacted the lack of manhood being clarified and understood by men. Fatherless homes are one of the biggest and most frequent common denominators in statistics related to crime and abuse. But one of the beauties of the gospel is that God is restoring all things to himself. So as we preach the gospel to ourselves, as we remind ourselves of who God has made us to be, God wants to restore men what it means to be a biblical man. God wants to restore that aspect of our lives so that we can be an imitator of him. So if we as men are going to be imitators of God, we must look to Jesus. This morning, I'd like to look to Jesus and see three aspects of Jesus and how what he did impacts the way we should live our lives. Now, if we're going to look, what we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to say, is by no means only for men. I think one of the attacks on biblical manhood is the idea that men are better than women and somehow women are less. But we see from the very, very beginning of Scripture, both men and women are created in the image of God. The worth there is equal before God. First Peter 3 tells us that women are co-heirs of God's grace. They are his image bearers. And to be honest with you, if we men were to be honest, sometimes ladies are way better at bearing the image of God than we even are. I mean, there's a reason statistically in churches across America, Mother's Day is one of the highest attended services. I, I'm, I'm thankful for the group. We had a great group this morning, uh, first service, great group. Now I'm thankful for that. But in churches across America, Mother's Day, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a godly mother. My mom led me to the Lord. My mom taught me how to read my Bible, taught me how to pray. Uh, oftentimes, ladies do so much of a better job than this. If you're here today and you had a hard relationship with your dad, I want to tell you there's hope for you because you have a Heavenly Father that loves you. If you're here today and, and you're a single mom, I know Father's Day can be so hard for single moms because it's like you're, you're reminded in a very pointed way that your kids don't have a dad, and that can be hard. Well, I want to say to you that there's hope because you have a heavenly father who loves your kids and he's the perfect dad. So oftentimes I fail my kids and I, and I tell them, I'm sorry you got stuck with me as a dad. Let me point you to a heavenly father who will never fail you. So if you're here today and your relationship is strained with your father or your kids don't have a dad in the home, let me tell you there's hope for you because they have a heavenly father who loves them. You don't have to sit here and listen to this and be like, oh man, my kids are without hope. There is hope because they have a heavenly father. The characteristics we're going to look at this morning are by no means only for men. It doesn't say men be imitators of God. It tells all of us to be imitators of God. All of us should strive for this, to be imitators of him. So while this morning in my message, I'm going to be fleshing a lot of this out for us men because it's Father's Day. And I believe the lack of men who have just been sold out to Jesus, wanting to follow him with their whole hearts, I feel like we're reaping the results of that in so many different ways. So while I'm fleshing this out for us as men today, this is, this is for all of us. Uh, Paul says, I want all of us to be imitators of God. So if we're going to be the church, if we're going to live like Jesus in everyday area of our lives, let's look to Jesus. And the first aspect of Jesus I want to look at this morning is the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus. Look at verse number two of our text. He says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. See, the truth is because of the sacrifice of Jesus, 
we can love. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can love. Jesus shed his personal preferences for the benefits of others. Jesus went without. Jesus went without things that he maybe would have wanted. He shed his personal preferences so that other people could know God. Think about it. Jesus gave up heaven. Jesus gave up the, the, all the comforts he could have experienced on this planet. As the creator of the world, he gave that all up so that we could know we had a father. I mean, think about it. For the first time, Jesus experienced what it was like to be hungry. Uh, if you've ever had a newborn, sometimes they, they'll, they'll cry when they're hungry. And I'm, I'm sympathetic because I'm like, this is the first time this kid's ever been hungry. I would scream too. You know what I mean? For the first time, Jesus is experiencing hunger. He's experiencing pain. He's experiencing uh, being tired. For the first time, his feet got sore from walking. For the first time, he sweat. Jesus is shedding his preferences for the benefit of us, but it goes so much deeper than that. It's not that Jesus was willing to be hungry. Jesus was willing to bleed and to die. He was willing to sacrifice everything so that we could have a relationship with God. We know the depths of someone's love by what it cost him. You see, Jesus knew, I mean, the Bible tells us that from a very young age, Jesus knew he had to be about his father's business. So his entire life, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. For his entire life, he knew he was going to be beaten and have to endure a rigged trial. For his entire life, he knew that he was going to be turned over to the Romans and whipped to the point he wasn't even recognizable as a man. Jesus knew all this, yet because Jesus loved us, he would willingly sacrifice his life for us so that we could have a relationship with God. We see the depths of Christ's love by the greatness of what it cost him. And if we're going to be imitators of God as dear children, our lives are going to be marked with sacrifice so that other people can know God. We're going to be willing to give up so that other people can come into a relationship with God because Jesus sacrificed everything so that we can know God. We too can sacrifice so that others can know God. 1 John 4.11, dear friends, if God has loved us in this way, in what way? The fact that he sacrificed everything. If God loved us in that way, we also must love one another. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because he willingly gave up everything so that we could experience the love of the Father, we too, our lives can be marked by radically sacrificial living so that other people could come to know God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we love. I read this week... Um, about a story, it's, it's told that Chuck Colson told the story of a group of American prisoners uh, during World War II. If you've read anything about uh, prison camps in World War II, you know just how atrocious it was. Um, if you've never read a book by Viktor Frankl called The Man's Pursuit of Meaning, uh, he, he survived the Holocaust and he survived those prison camps and he, he talks about those and Chuck Colson told the story uh, about these soldiers who had to do hard labor in a prison camp. He said each one had a shovel and would dig all day then come and give an account of his tool in the evening. One evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels and then turned in rage to the 20 soldiers, demanding to know which one lost their shovel. No one responded. The guard took out his gun and said that he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner didn't step forward. After a tense moment of silence, the 19-year-old soldier stepped forward with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side and shot him in the head and turned to warn the others that they better be more careful than he was. When he left, the men counted the shovels, and there were 20. The guard had miscounted, and that boy gave his life for his friends. Can you imagine the emotions that must have filled their hearts as they, as they knelt over his body? In five or ten seconds, that 19-year-old boy, he weighed his whole future in the balance. A future wife, an education, a new truck, children, a career, fishing with his dad. And he chose to sacrifice. He chose death so that his friends could live. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than one who laid down his life for a friend. To choose love, 
To love is to choose suffering so that other people can come to know God. When we are experiencing the sacrifice of Jesus for us, he is going to lead us to sacrifice so that other people can come to know him. Dads, are we sacrificing for our families? Are we so overwhelmed by the love of God, like we sang a moment ago, that we are willing to sacrifice maybe some overtime? Are we willing to sacrifice maybe the comforts of sitting on our couch for an evening so we can play with our kids? Are we willing to sacrifice so that our children can come to know God? Are we willing to sacrifice? So are we willing to give things up so that our family can draw closer to him? Are we willing to give up our comfort so our family can know God deeper? God calls us as fathers to gladly assume sacrificial responsibility for our wives and for our families. It begins with a special kind of care of mom. God requires more of husbands in relationship to their wife than he requires of wives in relationships to their husband. God requires, uh, God requires you can read Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, 7. Then as an extension, fathers also shoulder a peculiar responsibility to initiate towards, to provide for, to protect their family. God gives men the broad emotional shoulders for carrying the weight of family by faith. God means for dads to carry more burdens than moms, not less. God calls us as dads to sacrifice, and even with strong shoulders, God calls us to regularly come to the end of ourselves and just utter dependence on God. And as we sacrifice for our families, there's going to be moments when we're so overwhelmed that we have to cast our mind and depend on God. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. When you've been investing in your family all day and you've been at work all day and you come home and your kids just want to play and you just want to relax, God is calling us to sacrifice for our families. It's going to mean sacrificing sleep so you can get up with your kids. It's going to mean sacrificing sports on a Sunday so you can be in church with them. Men, are we sacrificing for our families so they can know God better? God calls all of us to sacrifice so that others can know him. And it's not just this thing we're supposed to copy. As he lives his life through us, he wants to live that sacrifice through us so that other people can know him. Are you allowing your life to be a conduit of God's love that leads to sacrificing for others? Sometimes loving is hard. Sometimes you love and it's not reciprocated. Sometimes your flesh doesn't want to do it. Sometimes you love and you, and you know you're not going to get anything in return. But here's the truth. As you love, as you experience the love of the Father, His love is constantly pouring out on you. His sacrifice is constantly pouring out on you. And as you constantly experience, you can constantly give. Because no matter how much you sacrifice and how much you give, you will never run out of the love of the Father. Because it's always pouring down on you. His sacrifice is always being applied to you. His love is always there. Because you're always being filled with His love, you can always sacrifice and love for others. The natural outflow of a life that is overwhelmed by the love of Christ is a life that is radically sacrificial. And we are to be imitators of his love, of his sacrifice. As dear children, it should be our delight. And when we realize who God has made us to be, it becomes our delight. We see the sacrifice of Jesus and how that enables us to love. But next I want to point us to the courage of Jesus. Because of the courage of Jesus, we can obey. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 22, verse 42. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's considering the agony. He's considering the pain. He's known about it his whole life, and he's coming up to that moment. It's hitting him. The Bible tells us that he sweat as the word drank drops of blood. The, the, the overwhelming nature of it, the agony of it, looking forward to all of that was so intense that it literally burst the blood vessels in his head to the point it looked like he was sweating blood, the Bible tells us. And as he's considering all that agony, he cries out to God, Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. God, if there's any other way, please, I'm begging you, Father. But not my will, but your will be done. As Jesus was being overwhelmed by 
what the cross was going to mean. Jesus tapped into courage, and he chose the will of the Father so that we could come to know him. And because of the courage of Jesus, we can obey. I want to give us two different definitions of courage this morning. The first one, if you were to look up courage at dictionary.com or pull out a dictionary, this is what it would tell you. It would say, courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc., without fear, bravery, to act in accordance with one's belief, despite the danger, despite the fear, despite the overwhelming nature of it. Now, with that definition in mind, I want to look at what the Bible means when it tells us to be courageous. A biblical definition of courage would be doing what God is calling and enabling you to do despite feeling incredibly overwhelmed. Here in Luke 22, we see Jesus is just incredibly overwhelmed at what it means to follow the Father in this moment. And as he's overwhelmed by it, he has to tap into courage. We see Jesus faces death even though he's overwhelmed. He didn't let his loudest desire, let this cup pass, to overpower his deepest desire, and that was the will of the Father. It took courage for Jesus to say yes to the will of the Father, even though he knew full well what it meant, that Jesus had to tap into courage so that he could obey God. And there's going to be times when our fleshly desires are so loud and we feel overwhelmed. We're going to come home from work after just a lousy day. We're going to be tired. We're just going to want to check out. But God says, no, I'm giving you the courage so that you don't have to check out, so that you can engage your family, so that you can engage your kids, so that you can love on your wife, even though sometimes it's difficult. Our fleshly desires will be loud and we're going to feel overwhelmed. There's going to be times when fear creeps into our heart at the prospect of what it means to follow God. Sometimes when I look at my kids, I get so overwhelmed with the fact that I'm their dad. God has called me to be their father. I look at my family history and I'm just like, what are you trying to do here, Nick? And fear creeps into my heart. I'm afraid I'm going to mess them up, just to be honest with you. But Jesus says, no, Nick, you don't have to be afraid. You can tap into courage because I was courageous for you. And you can obey the will of the Father and be a good dad because you have a good dad who gave everything for you. There will be moments when we're going to be afraid of what other people might think. I mean, we've all been there where even in a simple way, the Holy Spirit's leading you to share your faith. And you get scared about what somebody might think. There's going to be times when fear creeps in, but we don't have to be victim to fear because Christ gives us courage, and because of his courageousness, we too can be courageous in obeying the will of the Father. Uh, there's, there's going to be times, and, and guys, every man, you, you've been there. You're just tired, right? You're overwhelmed. You want to go home, and you want to check out. You're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with today. There's been lots of times I told my wife, I'm just so overwhelmed. The kids are maniacs, long day at the office, and I'm just like, I'm just done with today, all right? I'm, I'm done. I'm checking out. There's going to be moments when we want to check out, but God is telling you, because of the courage of Jesus, you don't have to check out. You can engage your family. You can engage your kids. Moms, there's going to be times when you feel so overwhelmed. All you can smell is dirty diapers, and you want to throw your kids out the window because they've been awful all day long. But moms, you don't have to give in. You can have courage. You can engage your children. You can love on them like Jesus can. You can obey God to be the kind of mom he's calling you to be because of the courage of Jesus that is inside of you. Because of Christ, we don't have to avoid our families. We don't have to avoid Bible reading. We don't have to avoid church. We don't have to avoid prayer, even though our flesh is screaming to avoid it. Even though we feel so overwhelmed and we're so scared and we're like, what is this all going to mean? Where is this all going to go? My job, I just don't know the future. It's so overwhelming. We don't have to give in to fear. We can be courageous, faithful Christians and follow the will of the Father. Because of Christ, we can faithfully obey God with hearts full of faith. Jesus was overwhelmed, and yet he tapped into courage instead of fear. Jesus faced every obstacle with the tear in his eye and the word of God in his heart, which enables us to have courage to make the right choice. You see, Jesus knows how easy it is for us to fall into fear. 
That's why he enables us with the gospel. But the truth is, every gospel enablement, it removes our fleshly excuses. No longer can I use the excuse, well, I didn't have a good dad, so that gives me a pass on being a bad dad. No, I have a perfectly heavenly father who loves me, who's doing everything he can to enable me to be a good dad, so I don't have the excuse of not having a good father anymore. Fatherlessness for the Christian is an excuse because you're no longer fatherless. You have God who wants to live his life through you, and he's calling you to tap into that courage. Jesus gives us courage so that we don't have to offer up excuses. Instead, we could just offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice, Romans 12. No longer do I have to just give excuses. Uh, uh, Joshua, he's taken over from Moses in Joshua 1. And God's like, I know, stepping into Moses' shoes is going to be scary. That's why God told Joshua, be strong and courageous to observe carefully the law that I've instructed Moses. But you could do this, Joshua, because I am with you, because I am giving you courage. God knows one of the primary things that derails our obedience is fear. Perhaps it's fear of missing out. Perhaps it's fear of what other people will think. Perhaps it's fear of things not going your way. Maybe you're here today and you're considering obeying God and you're just afraid if you obey him, he's going to ruin your life. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid. Let me give you courage. Being the church in 2018 takes courage. To be a great dad, the dad that God wants to be through you takes courage. To be a great mom takes courage. To be a teenager that wants to live for God when all the world is telling you something different, it takes courage. But my friends, we can have courage. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't fear. I am with you. I Don't be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, Isaiah says. I love what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say then to these things? We sang this a minute ago. If God is for us, who can be against us, my friends? It doesn't matter what other people might think. It doesn't matter what other people want to say. Because God is for you, they cannot stand against you. You can faithfully obey God because God is for you. But Paul goes on. He says, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Paul's like, if God was willing to give Jesus to you, if God was willing to sacrifice Jesus so that you could live a courageous, faithful life, is there anything that he's not going to give you? Perhaps you're afraid of, you're not going to know what to say. What, what, whatever your fear is, Paul is saying, God has got you covered. You don't have to be afraid of what other people think. God is for you. You don't have to be afraid of not having something you need because God's promised to give you whatever you need. But he goes on. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God's the one that justifies. Paul's like, Nobody can accuse you of anything. Sometimes when you try to live for God, people, they'll judge your motives. They'll judge, they'll, they'll say whatever. But Paul's saying, they can't accuse you of anything because God has justified you. Because of the justification of God, you are free to courageously and faithfully follow and be an imitator of God as his dear child. But he goes on. Who's the one that condemns? Christ is the one who died. But even more has been raised, who is also at the right hand of the Father of God and intercedes for us. Do you know Jesus right now is praying for you? Jesus is praying for you right now in this very moment before the Father in heaven. Uh, before the first service. My wife prayed over me before I preached. And that, that, that gave me some courage. I was like, it's great to know people are praying for me. Jesus is praying for us right now. We could go and obey God with hearts filled with courage because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Praying that he would give us what we need. Praying when we don't know how to pray. And he wants to fill our hearts with courage so we can obey him. But he goes on. <laughs> Who could separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No! And all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him. Your new identity is that of conqueror. 
You are a conqueror. You're not an addict. You're a conqueror. You're not a victim. You're a conqueror. You're not a deadbeat dad. You're a conqueror. You're not a, a mom who doesn't know what to do. You're a conqueror. Single moms, when you feel so overwhelmed, remind yourself that you are a conqueror in Jesus. And because you are a conqueror, you can faithfully love all your kids and you can faithfully lead those kids to Jesus. Dads, you can faithfully point your family to Jesus because you are a conqueror. First Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. When God looks at you, he sees kings and queens. He sees kings and queens. Man, you are one of God's kings. He has made you a king. He has made you a conqueror. There's no power on earth that can stop you. You are a king. Let that sit in. You are a conqueror. That's your identity. It's not victim. It's not broken. It's not outcast. It's not reject. It's conqueror. It's king. Moms, when you're so overwhelmed and you're just like, oh, life is so hard, remind yourself and remind your kids, I'm a queen in God's eyes. You're a queen. First Peter tells us that when, when ladies, when they're living out the gospel, he says, there's nobody that should be able to intimidate you when you're living out the gospel. You're a queen. You're in the eyes of your heavenly father. You are a queen. Men, you are a king. And it's time we stop living like outcasts. It's time we stop living like victims. It's time we stop living like rejects and live like the kings and queens and the conquerors. God has made us to be. That is your identity, Paul says. Conqueror. And because God has made you a conqueror, you can tap into the courage of Jesus to faithfully follow him. Men, we can conquer our sin. We can conquer our apathy. Uh, apathy is a huge plague among so many men. They just don't care. And I, and I get it. I struggle with this sometimes. It's just, I just don't care. <laughs> like, whatever. Destroy the house, kids. Just don't kill each other. I'm good, right? Here's the deal, because God has made me a conqueror, I can conquer my apathy and I can engage with my family. Because God has made me a conqueror, I can engage my apathy towards the lost. Because I'm a conqueror, I can engage in my apathy when I'm apathetic to things about the Lord. When I'm apathetic about my Bible reading, Jesus says, no, you're a conqueror, you can go read your Bible with a heart full of faith and courage because that's who I've made you to be. Man, we can conquer our sin. We can conquer our apathy. We can conquer our lust. We can conquer anything that God throws at us because we have the power of the resurrection at our disposal. We are more than conquerors. Men and ladies, let's rise up and live like the kings and the queens and the conquerors that God has made us up to be. Can I say this? The devil don't take a day off. Spiritual warfare, it's real. And I don't want to be like this doomsday, ah, but God has made us to be conquerors. Let's live like it. It's not just, okay, i got to be a conqueror today. No, the more I remind myself of what he's done for me, how he was courageous for me, how he was sacrificial for me, the more that inspires me, the more that makes me want to be a conqueror as his dear child. Let's live courageously because Jesus was courageous for us. No more excuses. No more fear. Just courageous, faith-filled obedience to the will of the Father. This is who God has made us to be, conquerors. Because Jesus tapped into courage, we as men can tap into courage. We as ladies can tap into courage and obey the Father's will. We see the sacrifice of Jesus and how because of his sacrifice we can love. We see the courage of Jesus and how because of his courage we can obey. Then lastly, I want to look at the sensitivity of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to John 19. John 19, in Luke we are coming right at the beginning of the cross. John 19, we're coming at the tail end of the cross. Jesus has endured everything. In three short verses, Jesus is about to say, it is finished. Now imagine all the pain he's endured. Imagine the agony. Imagine crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine being punished 
for the sins that you did not commit. Imagine being punished for our sins. That's where Jesus finds himself. And in John 19, verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, that's talking about John, he says unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And then from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. In the middle of his dying, in the middle of the agony, Jesus was sensitive to the needs of his mother. He was still sensitive to her current situation. I, I don't know about you, but if I was dying for the sins of the world, I might be tempted not to notice somebody else's situation. <laughs> I might be tempted to think, good luck, Mom, I'm dying for the sins of the world here. But not Jesus. Even in his dying, Jesus was still sensitive towards the needs of others. Most theologians would agree that at this point, uh, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, has already died. That's why Jesus is sensitive to our situation now. But what we do know is Jesus wasn't an only child. There were other men who could have taken care of Jesus' mother. I mean, Jesus could have been like, uh, hey, James, I'm dying right now for the sins of the world so I can restore all mankind back to God. Can you take care of mom? But, James, uh, but Jesus didn't do that. Because Jesus was sensitive to the needs of others, he met this need even when it wasn't convenient for him and even though there was somebody else who could have and maybe should have taken care of it. Jesus was still sensitive towards those needs. He was sensitive, and Jesus is sensitive to us. He's sensitive to our needs. I know when we think about manliness, we don't really think of sensitive, right? I mean, when we think John Wayne, when we think Rambo, we don't think sensitive, caring, compassionate. But here's the deal. Those guys aren't our... Aren't our those aren't our models. Those aren't the people that we should be like. Jesus is. And Jesus was sensitive. Jesus was sensitive towards these needs. Jesus wept over people's needs. Throughout the New Testament, whenever you see Jesus and he sees people's sin and he sees the brokenness that that sin has caused for them and the mess that it's made, Jesus just weeps. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden's light. That doesn't sound super macho. I mean, if that was me, I might be tempted to quote Maui from Hawaii and be like, muscle up, buttercup. But that's not Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Come to me. Let me take that burden for you. Let, let, let me help you. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me give you rest for your souls. You see, being meek took strength. Being humble took strength. Being sensitive towards the needs of others, even in his dying, took strength. And as you continually yield yourself to Christ, as you continually renew your mind in who Jesus has made you to be, Jesus wants to be sensitive through you, and Jesus wants to meet the needs of others through you, and Jesus wants to care for others through you. Even when it's not convenient, even though it might be hard sometimes, even though there might be somebody else I could even do it, Jesus still wants to meet those needs through you. On Fridays and Saturdays, uh, a lot of us men were doing a Bible study called Manhood Restored, and the, the pastor that wrote the study, he said this, he says, once you accept the life of Christ, you don't have to try to be a better man. Jesus makes you a better man by living his life through you. And so as we men, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he's going to live through us, and he's going to make us more sensitive. He's going to make us more caring. Jesus has now become our ultimate example. Romans 5.19, for just as through one man's disobedience, that's Adam, Adam was the original image bearer of God. And Paul says, just, uh, because, just like through his disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, 
Just because Jesus, because Jesus perfectly lived a perfect life, because of Jesus' obedience, because he perfectly fulfilled the law, many will be made righteous. So what these verses are telling us is that Jesus is now the new prototype man. That's why it's so crucial to abide with Christ, to spend time with him, and to yield yourself to him so that he can live his life through you. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you desire and I'll give it to you, God says. So dads, as you are abiding in Christ, men, as you are abiding in Christ, how many of you men would raise your hand and say, I kind of want to be a better man? Abide in Christ and he's going to make you that better man, John tells us. Ladies, I know a lot of times there's ladies who are like, I got a lot of growing to do, but as you abide in Christ and you let his words abide in you, he's going to make you a better lady. He's going to make you a lady that looks more and more like Jesus. I want to challenge all of us here, but especially us men, to go home and get a vision for our life that looks like Jesus. So many times, and guys, I'm talking to us, we just flounder, right? We just get up, we go to work, we come home, we watch TV, we go to bed, we wake up, and we repeat. And it's like, the weekend's here, woohoo! I get to watch more TV. And it's like, I go to bed, I wake up, I go to work, I go home, I, and it's just, we're just floundering, and there's no vision, and there's no direction, there's nothing in our lives that says, I am working towards being more like Jesus because he is living his life through me, so I want to yield to him. Man, get a vision, get some direction for your life that looks like Jesus. Husbands, let me, let me challenge you with this. Husbands, go home, ask your wife how you can grow in being more sacrificial, courageous, and sensitive to her needs and her family. And then listen to what she says. Don't argue. Don't try to justify. Don't try to explain away. Just ask. Ask your wife, how can I be more sacrificial to you the way Christ is sacrificial to the church? How can I be a better conduit of God's love to our family? Sometimes we just get so focused on our job or our hobby and we forget that there's a, a mom who's struggling with kids and struggling with schedules and trying to raise them. And, and, it just, and we, we need to sometimes just a reminder that says, oh wait, I'm supposed to be sacrificing for them. Paul says dads are the ones that are supposed to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ask your wife, how can I be more sacrificial? Ladies, ask your husband the same thing. This isn't just for men. This is for all of us. Be imitators of God as dear children. Ladies, let your, let your husbands wash you in the water of the word, Ephesians 5. All of us in this room can go home, spend some honest time with the Holy Spirit, and number one, bask in the love of the Father. Ask the Holy Spirit to hit your heart like a ton of bricks with how loved you are and how accepted you are. The world's telling you you're not enough. The world's telling you you need to be more. The world's saying you need to perform better. You need to do this and this and this and this and this. And we just need to go home and ask, ask the Holy Spirit to remind us that it's done. Jesus says it's finished. I am loved and I am accepted. And we need to go home and just bask in his love and ask the Holy Spirit, if you're struggling listening to those other voices and those other voices are loud for you, ask the Holy Spirit to be louder. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Get on your knees before the Holy Spirit and open up the word of God and say, would you show me how loved I am? Would you remind me of the love of the Father? And then two, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where in your life you're not being an imitator of God as a dear child. It might be you're trying to be an imitator of God in your own strength. And it's not the natural outflow like a child naturally wants to be like his mommy and daddy. It's, oh, i got to be like Jesus today. And you're trying to do it in your own strength, and you're trying to do it in your own flesh, and you're burning yourself out, and you're going to hurt other people. And the Holy Spirit, just, he might come to you and say, look, you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> just surrender to me and let me worry about living Christ's life through you. Perhaps you're here today, and you're going to ask the Holy Spirit that, and there's going to be like, there's not even any imitation at all. <laughs> There's just, there's just no desire to yield to Christ and let him live his life through you. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, show me the love of the Father. Help me to experience the love of the Father. Help that to be the most real thing in my life. And then ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, because of the love of the Father, where do I need to imitate Jesus? 
Where do I need to be an imitator of God as a dear children? And then remember, this is a process of a lifetime. Uh, Luke 2, uh, 32 says Jesus, Luke, excuse me, Luke 2, 52 says Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature in favor of God man. That verse kind of boggles my mind. How could Jesus learn? <laughs> but in his humanity, Jesus had to grow. Jesus had to increase in wisdom and in stature. And we see when Jesus got, gets baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him before he begins his public ministry. If Jesus had to grow, if Jesus had to rely on the Holy Spirit, I think we do too, right? And I think we can be patient with ourselves when we realize that we still got a long way to go. Jesus grew, we need to grow. We need to be patient with ourselves like God is patient with us. God's not up in heaven tapping his foot saying, come on, James, let's, let's get it together now. No, he's just like, I love you. I love you, man. I'm more patient with you than you can even be patient with yourself. And sometimes we get so hard on ourselves, we're like, oh, I just need to be better. And Jesus is just like, just let me love you. Just let me love on you. Experience the love of the Father and just yield to him and let him live his life through you and let him grow you. There's hope because the Bible tells us that he which started a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed with how much growing I have to do, and it's like, man, am I ever going to get there? And the Bible says yes, because Jesus doesn't stop what he starts. Jesus finishes what he starts, and if Jesus started the process in you, you can have hope because he's going to finish it. Hope because Jesus is going to finish it. So here's our takeaway this morning. Reinforcement leads to reproduction. Reinforcement leads to, re to reproduction. As I reinforce Christ's sacrifice for me, he is going to reproduce his love for others through me. As I reinforce Jesus' sacrifice, as I reinforce how Jesus died, as I reinforce how Jesus bled, as I reinforce how Jesus gave up everything for me, he is then that's going to reproduce his love for others through me. As I reinforce Jesus' courage in the midst of overwhelming obstacles, as I remind myself daily, day in and day out, how Jesus faced every obstacle, relying on the Word of God, relying on the Holy Spirit, as I remind myself of his courage, that is going to reproduce his obedience through my life. As I reinforce his courage, it will reproduce his obedience through me. As I reinforce his sensitivity to me, reminding myself, this is how sensitive God is to you. This is how patient God is with you. This is how loving God is with you. That is going to reproduce his care for others through my life. It's not about, okay, I just got to imitate God in five new ways today. Again, my kids don't wake up and they're not like, I got to imitate dad. through. They just do it. As I love on them, they just want to be like their daddy. And as we allow ourselves to be loved on by God, and as we reinforce our new nature, our new identity, and his love for us, he will reproduce his life in and through us. Reinforce to reproduce. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.